Hello and welcome to the Life Enchanted Podcast. We're on a mission to optimize our lives through faith, health, wisdom, and much more. Thank you for joining us on our journey. Here now is our host, Nick Carlisle. What is good, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Life Enchanted Podcast, where it is my duty to explore all things related to living an optimized and fulfilling life. I personally am on the never-ending journey to improve myself and figured why not share my findings and my conversations with as many people as possible. This episode is brought to you by MyLifeEnchanted.com, which is where you can find all things related to the Life Enchanted movement. You can sign up for my email newsletter on there, read my blog, check out some apparel I designed, and a bunch of other stuff as well. Also, I would love to keep this podcast relatively sponsor-free, and to do that, I need your support through Patreon. You can visit the support tab on my website to learn more about that. Your contributions through Patreon will keep the Life Enchanted content flowing and will also help me dedicate more time to expanding the content, i.e. the blog and newsletter and whatnot. But most importantly, a portion of every cent that comes through Patreon and my online store will be donated to Metro World Child. You can find out more about them through my website on that support tab. Also, please consider leaving a rating and possibly a review of the podcast on whatever platform you're using. Your feedback helps other people discover the show and join the movement. Today's episode is part two with singer, songwriter, and entrepreneur Mark Griffin, a.k.a. Marky Basie. I really enjoy talking with this dude. He's uber smart, he's insanely talented, he's authentic, and the dude speaks his mind, which I appreciate. I've been following Mark for close to 10 years now, and it's been super dope for me to see him go from being the frontman of 2AM Club to going solo to writing songs for other big-name artists to putting out his own free tracks on SoundCloud to now starting his own label and recently releasing an amazing studio album called Postmodern Depression. This episode is very wide-ranging. We talk about his new album, his new label, Buddhism, and a bunch of other stuff. I also want to forewarn you that the audio did glitch a couple times because we didn't have the strongest FaceTime connection, so just bear with me there, but it's nothing horrible. So without further ado, here is my part two interview with Marky Basie. So I thought we could start by rewinding the clock back to to 2010-ish, which is when I first discovered you and really started listening to you. Um, And it's because you were collaborating with Nick Knack and Bobby Brackens on various projects. And as a side note, I knew Nick and Bobby through my relationship with Rob Stewart, a.k.a. Fess, a.k.a. Swirl, who was my buddy at SDSU. He's also your manager and the co-founder of your new label, New Gold Medal. But... Getting back to Nick Knack and Bobby Brackens, this is a two-part question. How did you link up with them, and how have they influenced your career? They, uh, well, damn, let me think about that. So there's another character in this Bay Area music scene who's been bringing people together for, like, the better part of a decade. And his name is Murphy Holmes, a.k.a. Young Murph, the kid, yep. aka YMTK. Yep. And he, uh, I had a very uh, short stint at UC Santa Cruz, and I played basketball with him there. Um, and he was a musician. I was just friends with him. He was actually in a group with my uh, partner in 2AM Club. Was that Tyler? And, yeah, Tyler. Him and Tyler were in a group. And then I met him, and then me and Tyler got close, and we started 2AM Club, like, a couple years after that. But he, Murphy, was working with Nick Knack, and I met Nick. And the first night I met Nick, we drank a bottle of Pinnacle vodka and, like, had a, like, a body shot, con- like, not like a... Not body shot, like, when you shoot it out of, like, person's, like, belly button, but, like punching each other in the body <laughs> we were just like on some real like frat boy uh vibe but we met 
and we made music all night. And I just knew Nick was like one of the best producers I'd ever worked with. He was the best. Um, and then Nick introduced me to Bob. First time we met, we made um, I'm Ready, which was one of his singles back then. Yep. And it was just kind of my first time. I had been like grown up playing music in bands. So it was the first time I worked with like a rap producer and saw how, uh, how like what went into that and how it was different. And Nick was obviously incredible um, and Bob as well. So it's just kind of, they've influenced me a lot, a lot. Um, a lot about like mentality and how they approach their career. Mm. And I think it's a very Bay Area centric thing is like we have a certain confidence in the Bay Area culturally where we always feel like you know everyone from the bay thinks they're the best <laughs> and thinks that our, our our music is the best sometimes it's clearly not but um i don't know like we never really were like overly thirsty i would say mm. for lack of a better word um we never like tried to finesse and politic our way like a lot of other people do in hollywood to uh success it just kind of comes when it comes yeah and we we kind of stay grinding and doing our best and i kind of learned that from them in my old band it was you know my first band it was like we got to get a record deal Mm -hmm. and like we you know we got to hustle and talk to this guy and network and when i got around nick and bob was like we don't do all that (laughs) we Mm -hmm. just make we you know kind of constructed our own sound our own way and you know when people want to come pass for it then we know we can look at that but we don't really get thrown off of our our day-to-day routine and get thrown off of, you know, our energy. And once I kind of figured that out, I've been like that this whole time. And that's funny because I think about that a lot. Like, should I, you know, post on TikTok or, yeah, yeah. you know, like, oh, there's so, there's so much bullshit out there that people will convince you you need. Mm-hmm. But when you really get into, like, what makes you happy and what you want to do, you know, as long as you can create a good life for yourself and the people you care about, you know, and, you know, through what you're doing, it's like, what's better than that? And yeah. I, I don't know, like, those guys kind of taught me that in a way. So. That's good, man. Yeah, it's almost, I mean, it's like the work, the work will speak for itself. And if if you're doing your thing and if you're being authentic and if you're truly talented and original like you guys are, then you don't need to get caught up in all the other stuff and try, try and promote your name because the music will speak for itself. And I've seen that true with you. I mean, you started out humbly solo, putting out yeah. Chemical High on SoundCloud and just kind of dabbling in it, and you weren't super yeah. self-promoting, but it just grew, and it's been dope to see you grow. What what yeah. really separates Knickknack from the other producers? I mean, obviously the dude has an insane ear, but what else is it about Nick that has led him to the success that he's had? Um, I mean, for one, it's his ear. Yeah. You know, knowing, just knowing when something, like, because a lot of these beats are similar, right? Like yeah. the drum pattern, the chord progression, all that's the same on every song, you know, on the radio. Mm-hmm. So it's not really about that. It's just about frequency and having an ear that picks up on that one extra level where you can identify specifically what the general pop public only only feel. Yeah. So he he just knows how to provide people with all the right frequencies and make every drum, every sound really count. And then he's like uh he knows where he's from, you know. Mm. A lot people who don't know where they're from, they have no chance in music. Because yeah. they don't, they can't, like, at the end of the day, they uh, their opinion, they can't even trust their own opinion, you know? Yeah. Like, he knows in his heart when he feels like something is good. And that's really, you know, that's hugely important because otherwise you just start spinning out of control and you're asking this guy, is this good? And this girl, and yep. blah, 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 like, yep. and just trying to re- reach around to see if someone's going to save you sort of mm-hmm. and with nick he just, he just knows like this makes me feel good so i'm gonna make this as good as it can be and he doesn't like step out of his lane too much so he kind of has had a chance to master 
his lane, mm. which he sort of helped invent in a way. This whole like R and bass, you know, DJ Mustard, Nick Mac, he he had a big part in creating that sound. Yeah. The yeah. sound that sort of bridged the Bay Area and LA. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a lot of those things. Definitely. He's a good dancer. He's a good dancer too. So he likes to <laughs> dance to his music. <laughs> so I feel like he kind of uses that too. Like if it makes him want to dance, dance yeah. and have fun, he knows it's good. If it doesn't, he's not gonna do it. <laughs> That's awesome. And you guys lived together for a while, didn't you? You lived at the back house. <laughs> yeah, I lived in the back house with him and Swirl. That's um, that's no. an insane that that's nuts to have uh, you guys yeah. in the same spot back there because i visited i was at the back house way back in like 2012 dude i went i went to their house and everyone was outside playing basketball on that hoop and i went in the studio because i was super curious about nick and just like his creative process and it was for like 45 minutes it was me nick and ty dollar sign in the studio alone and that 45 minutes was one of the coolest experiences of my life dude because they were going back and forth just vibing off each other and ty was singing melodies and nick was just adjusting on the keys and they were just feeding off each other dude and it was i mean those two especially ty that dude i mean he's been the few feature the one of the few features on kanye's most recent albums and is a super high demand obviously super talented and nick just with the with the mega hits he's produced that was one of the coolest things ever dude and to see them just vibe off each other it was amazing so with all that said that back house has had a lot of a lot of magic produced in it obviously was were you guys just making music 24 7 back there uh, we were, I don't, we were doing everything but sleeping back there, man. It was really <laughs> fun. It was like, uh, it was, I had, when I moved there, I had broken up with my girlfriend and I moved there and on like my fifth day of sleeping on the couch, basically from like, I had like, I thought my life was set. I was like, I'm going to marry this girl. Yeah. It's like we're we're going through a rough time. But I was like, we're gonna get married, it's gonna work out. We had a two bedroom house. Uh this in is West the fashion Hollywood. designer that ended up with he who must not be named, right? No, he can be named. So I woke <laughs> up I woke up on like my fifth day and Nick screaming at the top of his lungs, Patience! Like, come here. And I walk in and it's just a TMZ Zach Efron and his new girlfriend. And I was just like, <laughs> Fuck me. This is the roughest moment of my life. Like, I'm over here. I move. I'm 25 or 26. Like, I thought I was, like, an adult. And now I'm living in the back house on my friend's couch with, like, a garbage bag full of clothes. (laughs) And my ex is in Switzerland at the very best, you know, most decorated restaurant on earth at the time. You know, off the private jet with Big Efron. And I was just like, fuck (laughs) This is so, like, what a gut punch. Um, but to be honest, it was so motivating. It made every decision crystal clear because mm. I was so distraught by that. Not like, you know, the breakup was fine, but just the knowing that, you know, some guy out there my age that has the ability to, like, provide all these experiences that I could never do. And it, like, it crushed me in a way, but yeah. it made me. It made me just start going. Mm. I think about that all the time because I was just so motivated and I knew the second, like, I hate to say that that's what motivated me, but I sort of been motivated by women my whole life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I saw that and I was like, that's it. I'm about to be successful. It's going to take like six months. And I got a record deal and I had a top 10 song within like a year. It was crazy. Wow. It uh, did, did that relationship, it seems like that's a big part of East Hollywood your ep east hollywood was actually yeah i mean it was i had an east hollywood they're all kind of stories of and that kind of helped me out i I listened to a lot of uh what's that bob dylan album uh with like tangled up i think it's called blood on the tracks okay there's this one there's this one bob like that bob dylan song sorry uh, Shelter from the Storms, like one of my favorite songs of all time. Mm-hmm. And I love the way he talks about women and like how I can really relate to it. Like as a musician, especially like, you know, the kind that I am, I've spent, so, I spent my whole 20s basically like 
with my guitar and my backpack and my suitcase going from like <laughs> I, was, I lived with Katrina and then I lived with Michaela and I was just like living in this rock and roll fantasy kind of mm. and I think like without those relationships that these you know my girlfriends you yeah. know, through that time period I don't know what I would have done and so all, all my songs truthfully like it's never really about like one girl but yeah it's just always about that feeling of like you know getting to relax mm. and you know yeah you could see that in your music you could definitely see that if you yeah. could if you could go back to that basie and tell him something right now just that 25 24 year old basie what would you say to him what would be your uh, advice i don't know you know i i think uh my my advice would be like it's never gonna it takes a lifetime to figure it out you know mm, so you can't yeah. even worry about it because even now you know i'm a little more self-aware now a little more disciplined but it's still you know i wake up i have an idea about what my life is going to be what i'm going to do with mm-hmm. my day and mm-hmm. then at night i'm like man you fucked up half of the things you were supposed to accomplish and you gotta get it again tomorrow so mm-hmm. there's always it's never gonna like all fall into place mm-hmm. and i think uh when you detach yourself from that idea entirely is when you get the closest to it so mm, i would just good. i would just, you know what i'm saying like yeah. it's not uh even when everything's going perfect then you know fucking your grandma gets sick or you know whatever you know it's always something so i just I would tell him to not a to not to not attach yourself to the outcome. Mm-hmm. How how did you do you cultivate that detachment? Because I know that you've I've seen you and heard you recommend the book uh, Zen Mind Beginner's Mind, um, and I know like Zen Buddhism talks a lot about detachment and and awareness and self awareness and not being absorbed in feelings and being able to separate and whatnot. What what does that look like in your life? Like, what is the self-talk like? Or what are the practices that you undergo that help you in that aspect? I mean, no matter how you define it, waking up and spending 20 minutes in meditation or in prayer, mm-hmm. I don't see any difference between prayer and meditation. Like, mm-hmm. how long, if you're, when people say they prayed for an hour, mm-hmm. you know, I, I you could probably pray to god or jesus for 10 minutes but after 10 minutes you're going to be mm-hmm. kind of trying to become one with the universe sort of mm-hmm. and that's the same thing as meditation so you need some moment uh in the first part of your day to be grateful and to disconnect from all your expectations and just be you know uh to feel that like deep gratitude mm-hmm. and then to kind of get out of your body for a second and realize that, you know, that's a big, a big part of Buddhism is the idea of not, you know, there is no duality. Yeah. And there is, and not gets complicated. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, yeah. And that's, that's how it manifests for me is it's just like beginning my day with meditation and then just being, uh, being aware of what it is that I want to feel and how I want to feel. I think people underestimate that a lot. People know what they want to do. Mm-hmm. They're like, I want to be, you know, I want to go to the gym and I scheduled my day out, but they don't really think about like how they want to feel. And when you're in touch with that, it's a little easier to make decisions because you can kind of follow your desire. A lot of times I used to think like, should I do, should I take this session? Should I work on this? Um, and then I couldn't figure out, like, is it worth it? Well, I don't really feel like it, but it could lead to, like, some some big success down the road. Mm-hmm. But if you're really in touch with how you feel, you can just kind of follow your desire. And following your desire is usually a, a good indicator of what you should be doing, I found. So, yeah. it's just kind of emptying out in the morning and then being able to know, you know, what, where your happiness is going to come from and following it throughout the day. That's good. Yeah, create that space. Creating that space is huge, man. There's 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 a tangible space that is hard to grasp that is in between the narrative the voice that's in your head when you're consumed with that and then being 
the observer of that voice. So on one side, you're the observer. On the other side, you're comp- you are the voice. And in between those is a gap. And if you are able to stay in that gap and observe what that narrative is or what the f- bodily feelings are, I feel like that's the optimal space that you need to, to you know, activate and, and be present in that leads you to, to places that are ultimately fulfilling and whatnot. And I've totally seen that true in my life as well. And that's all, that's all a good segue into current day, your release of the new album, Postmodern Depression, which is super dope, man. It's been heavy in the rotation lately. Um, Thank you, man. Yeah, man, it's, it's, it's awesome. And you know that I'm one of your biggest fans since day one. So (laughs) it's all love. Um, but but what does the phrase postmodern depression mean to you and and why did you decide to give your album that title so it comes from a few different places and it's an idea that sort of floated to me from the ether a while ago i think it's just always kind of been on the tip of my tongue um but it took me a while to you know formulate the whole idea but basically if you think of like postmodern art, you know, the, the criticism of postmodern art was like, there's no standards. Um, so how can you, you know, when Andy Warhol just, you know, made the Campbell's soup can, you know, the biggest, uh, one of the biggest pieces of art, like in the world that like created a stir culturally because it was like, is this, is this even art? Does this even count? Mm. Uh, because people were used to like Renaissance paintings and modern art, I guess. But I thought a lot about that. And Andy Warhol also said in the sixties, he said, uh, in the future, everyone will be famous for 15 minutes, you know? Mm. So that's like, that's one idea of like, when you break down standards and when you democratize art and everyone gets to say, and everyone gets to make beats and everyone gets to sing and everyone gets to make music videos on TikTok and Triller and everyone gets to be a published novelist and all that. When everyone gets to kind of do everything, it takes the, the standards, whether we like it or not, they just, they sink a little bit mm-hmm. in the classic sense. And so we kind of live in this postmodern music world where, you know, it's like, it to be revered and known as a musician. We had to be, Mozart or Beethoven or you know mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's changed to now like we have like you know Baby Shark could be the biggest song in the world <laughs> uh, that's a big that's, that's some postmodern depression <laughs> like yeah. that that will fuck you up if you think about it enough um, so that was part of it and then also just I was really interested in this whole like mental health thing that's going on mm-hmm. and I don't know I don't know what causes it but I feel like a lot of the root of people's uh, mental health problems is like social media and just constantly comparing yourself to everything and never, never having that moment. Like we talked about earlier mm-hmm. to uh, disconnect and, and not be attached and being attached to that many people and that much expectation at one time. It, it numbs you a little bit mm-hmm. and being numb, being numb and being depressed, I think are synonymous a lot of times. So it was like those things. It's like this postmodern world of constant communication, comparison. It just can bring you down. And living in LA here is like the belly of the beast of that. Mm-hmm. And even as a grown man, I find myself dealing with those feelings yeah. and, I like I was raised in the era where we pushed that away. No one ever told me to talk about depression or how I felt um, in high school. You know, like my high school experience, like anyone who was born in the 80s knows like we didn't. It wasn't cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, like the it wasn't cool to be soft at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now it is cool. So that's like the good side of this new generation. But um. I guess like postmodern depression is just in all of that. And it's been hard for me being, you know, a musician and coming into my thirties and still like having to relate to the youth. 
who have changed so much and so rapidly yeah. in the past 10 years since I've been in LA. So that's, you know, it gets rough. Like I have friends, you know, like who are making families and mm-hmm. living uh, positive lives, you know, and there are benefits to their communities and stuff. And then you find yourself like at the same club as like fucking some 16 year olds from Malibu and just like, damn, what is my life <laughs> and that happens you know yeah so i uh post-modern depression was just kind of all that i was thinking last night like do it should i give la like another album because all my music has been about la mm-hmm. and in a way one way or another and i was i was like do i have to like move to get a new to get a new vibration going through my music but i think post-modern depression might be my last LA-centric album, but we'll see. Maybe I'll get one more. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot there, dude. And and one of the ironic things is that you, you said that you, you feel these feelings of, of comparison and trying to live up to things and expectations and whatnot, but you are a star. You're in the spotlight. You have hundreds of thousands of followers on social media, hundreds of millions of song downloads, um, performing in front of massive crowds, traveling the world. And, and a lot of your fans and followers are most likely comparing uh, their lives to yours and living vicariously through you and envying what you're doing. But on the flip side of that, you are still struggling with it as well, which raises a whole nother conversation. Like, is, is there ever enough do you think that there's ever enough (laughs) absolutely not i mean that's i was actually talking about that with a friend earlier like one good thing one ironic thing about my position is like i have you know close personal friends who are on the level above me the high level of celebrities Mm -hmm. and you know who have millions of dollars and multiple homes and fly on private jets and all that and they're not happy either. Mm. <laughs> so, I mean, we, we, we all know this to be true. Like everyone knows that, Yeah. you know, that fulfillment comes from within, comes from meditation, comes from not being attached to outcomes, but it's just a practice that's really hard to do. Yeah. And you don't get a, you know, there's, there's no advantage that you get by being rich or famous, you know, in the pursuit of happiness. Like that's still mm-hmm. everyone. I, I would almost say, I mean, short of being like a prisoner of war or something or like a, you know, being in like some really dire circumstance, we're all pretty much even when it comes to trying to be happy. And that's something like once you learn, this is something else that I struggle with now is now that I know, I know that for a fact, I know that in my bones, Mm -hmm. that no matter how much money I get, same, how many people sing my song, that's not going to make me happy. So once you know that for a fact, where does your motivation come from? like to mm. continue in this profession mm. and i think about like i'm like sometimes i'm like damn mark do you even want to like still deal with this postmodern depression bullshit or do you want to like move to i don't know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. topanga and like live on a farm <laughs> and like you know like my my grandfather's trying to like pass down he has like a 30 foot sailboat it's pretty old but like I should just go learn how to sail and go like play my guitar on a boat. <laughs> like, I don't see I don't see why I wouldn't be doing that at this point. That'd be dope. Um, Sailor, but Benson. I like sailor. Yeah, but I like to. I do enjoy. There's something about the struggle mm-hmm. and and just like I love the I love that feeling that you get in Hollywood. Being a star, being something, being an actor, writing a script, you know, being a musician. Mm-hmm. and that energy is powerful and I, i've always been attracted to that just the dreamers you know um mm-hmm. so I don't, at the end of the day i kind of i kind of love that part of it yeah do you think a big key is doing things for others and focusing on like having your music impact others and hearing how your music helped people overcome a breakup or mental issues or illness or anything like that because I, I feel like that is is a huge part of the the fulfillment and of the purpose is that you're outside of yourself do you see that when you create music or when you hear stories it's uh, honestly it's hard for me to see it when I create music of my own but I really feel it when I'm 
I think just in general, when I'm helping people around me mm-hmm. and when I can be of service in any way, that's yes. probably the best I feel, uh, mm-hmm. which is so ironic. And it's kind of counterintuitive to a, you know, a self-serving L.A., yeah. you know, fucking musician. But it's really true. And uh, the older I get, I feel that more and more, you know, like doing anything that makes someone close to you happy or helps helps someone out of a jam. Mm-hmm. it's always the best those are the best days you have mm-hmm. um and i think that's it's true like the i think the best musical artists they are they're trying so hard to give of themselves even like kanye west you know he can say whatever you want he's obviously has he's off a little bit somewhere in there but mm-hmm. i don't see it as a as a i don't see him as being as self-serving mm-hmm. i i see it as like an overwhelming desire to like give something and mm-hmm. it has to be given, you know, according to what he feels is best. But I think that's the, that's the mold. That's the, that's the goal is like, like I'm, I'm dealing with that right now. Like my next project, I wanted to really do my best, the best thing I can give. Mm-hmm. And how do you do that? Like you have to have, you have to make demands. You have to be, you know, certain in what you're going to give but it's not for yourself like you know you're not being like i uh kanye or just to continue with him as an example he might make everyone around him crazy because he changed the mix a hundred times and he switched the songs on the project and you know all these people were probably so excited i'm about to have a song with kanye west and the last second take that song off and put a different song on Mm -hmm. and it could cause a lot of hurt feelings and you know, I've heard, you know, I know, I know a lot of people that work on his projects too, and I, I know how intense it gets. But then when you see the end result, it's it uplifts so many people, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's like that's worth it. And then even those people who were in the war with him, who might look at the process as being difficult, maybe it wasn't even you know the most fun. The joy of what that turned into mm-hmm. that's enough to keep you coming back. And yeah. That it's that that's the result that we all want is to really like make people think, make people happy, make people love. Mm. You know, we want to we want to be the song that's played at the wedding, mm-hmm. at the funeral, you know, and that I mean at church if that's what you're doing. So it's kind of and it's all we're trying to be of service as best we can, and that's when you when you're serious about that, it brings it pulls the best out of you. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, it's a weird thing because music, I mean, you create music for people to consume. And when people consume music, it invokes certain feelings. So just kind of by default, you are serving other people with your creation by instilling and invoking these certain feelings to arise and it's like now that is a responsibility on you what type of feelings are you going to have these these people feel mark are you gonna you know is it gonna you know (laughs) like that's that's kind of on you and i could see it as like now that now that we're kind of processing this and looking at it it's like if you're singing about a whole bunch of trash and a whole bunch of like materialism and accumulation of money and girls and all these different things it's like how how does that help people you know it it only it only perpetuates like the the comparison the envy and all that but if you're singing about real things that you are struggling with going back to what you're saying earlier like there's there's more of a culture now of being authentic of being vulnerable it's like man you you have such a platform and people are consuming so much of you like what is what do you want to invoke in them how how are you going to help them how are you going to motivate them and i see that with your music man and i see like i don't know it's 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 it's, it's an interesting thing to think about well i think two things uh what one is with music sometimes you gotta kind of peel back the surface and you can't really like like someone can sing about being materialistic but that might not be the vibe that actually that you get. That mm. might not, you know, just just because someone makes a song that's materialistic doesn't necessarily mean that that's how you receive it. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes people get down on a lot of modern music because they're like, oh, it's just materialistic bullshit. But 
really that that might inspire people and it might not just inspire people to like buy gucci it might inspire people to just get up yeah. and go follow follow you know their dreams and i, I so i don't necessarily think that's bad but that's a good point. also that that's very authentic to people mm-hmm. you know um mm-hmm. that's self-improvement to a lot of people is like get off the couch and especially in money. the african-american like, culture for being real yeah like, that's yeah it's prevalent it's prevalent and i mean a lot of a lot of people out here are struggling and they need mm-hmm. they need to hear somebody come on in the morning and get them up and get them out and yeah. you know the whether however the stories are depicted you know violence there's a there's a lot of of all of that mm-hmm. you know all those cl- cliches of like urban music but a lot of that shit is primal and real and mm. and you can that's why it crosses over to people that don't even have never identified with any of those problems but they still want to listen to that you know they still want to listen to the d-boys story like because mm-hmm. it's, it's motivating motivation mm. music mm. um so there's always a place for that but i but also uh it is like most importantly about being authentic because that's what people resonate with the most and so you know for me that's like a I've been uh, I have a lot of experience really at this point yeah. um, more than like you know I did when I was 21 making music so it's fun to explore like where I can go and what I can say that people believe in you know because mm-hmm. <laughs> that that's always been the hardest thing is like okay everyone around me believes in my talent but how do we match you know like branding wise i guess you would say like how do we match me as a person with my music in the best possible way and that's like that's the most difficult thing Mm -hmm. and you know the most successful artist that comes naturally to them Mm. so their idea of how they brand themselves is just as clear to them as the music they create Mm -hmm. and for me it's always been the opposite um and so that's like something i've been thinking about more and more and reading about and trying to learn about is just like, what's the, what's the best version of myself? And it goes, it goes back to the idea of what can you offer? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I could, I could probably get on a hard, like trap beat and rap the same song that half of the songs on rap caviar are, but that's wouldn't be my best offering, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So yeah. that's like what I've been thinking about lately. Like what's the, something that's the most unique to me and uh and fits fits me the best but you know mm-hmm. in the in the aim of being of service and, and helping to heal other people yeah um, from my perspective dude like you've in all honesty and i'm not i'm not trying to blow smoke but you've been doing that and i've seen that like you from the moment i heard you you've been super original and different and you can see the the eclectic influence of Bob Dylan's and D'Angelo's and all these other artists that I know you're big into kind of come out of you and that's one of the reasons I appreciate your music so much is because it's is rooted in in musicianship and good music and rap and hip hop and you know Stevie Wonder and all these different things and it's and I think that's one of the reasons you've been so successful is because you're you're just original you're just doing you um so just keep doing what you're doing man I just want to encourage you with that Thank you. I appreciate that absolutely and I will yeah good good I know you will what yeah. what does your creative process look like man like do you have a structured way that you go about every time making a song or what what does it look like going from having nothing to having a new bassy song um it happens a few different ways but the best songs um are just kind of ideas that float down to me from the sky i swear to god Mm. Uh, so i'll think about something like a new song I've been working on that I like is called Signs. And I was, you know, I was thinking about that. You know, when you're like just broke up with someone or like lost a friend and you're walking around and suddenly like you see their name everywhere mm-hmm. or you see like numbers that's like, oh, that's her birthday. And it's, it's like you didn't notice it before, but now there's all these signs around you. And so that was just like a thought in my head. And then through the course of a few days it just i start to take that concept signs 
and I hear a couple beats, and I'm like, ooh, this this uh, beat right here, this chord progression makes me feel the sign song. Mm. And then and then I kind of dive into it and start chipping away. But I, uh, this has been said before, but it's kind of, when you're making a song, it's not like you're a painter. It's more like you're a sculptor because it's like the song is already there. <laughs> it really is. Like these are all universal themes. You know, there's only eight notes in the key anyways. It's not, you're not really like reinventing the wheel when you write a song. You're just shaping, you're just detailing mm. something that's right there in front of you. So it's like being a sculptor in that way. So it's about, you know, not forcing it, making it feel right and taking your time with it. That's how you make the best song. Mm. Um, and there's definitely, you know, there's I see a lot of that in like a lot of modern rap music is like, People are like, this is uh, uh, people that grew up like in golden age hip hop might look down on it, but really it just feels like all the best new rappers, like they just know what feels right and they don't, they don't push it too hard. They just let it be because it's, it's been right there this whole time. Mm. And so that's, that's my approach. It's, I, I like to have a, an idea first, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like the- almost like a title, like a, t- like I keep in my notes, I keep a list of song titles for songs I haven't written yet. Mm. where i just know like oh that you know that's a that's a turn of phrase or that's an idea that i could make a song out of and then once i have that it really writes itself yeah do you so it goes idea typically and then it'll go beat typically and then it'll probably get into melody and and lyrics and whatnot when you are writing the lyrics do you find yourself writing hooks first and bridges or do you write verses first or how does that usually kind of take place I uh, I usually try to get like a hook, melody, and an overall idea, mm-hmm. and then from from there, you know, once you have that and you're you've been writing songs for a while, it's easy. Yeah. And you just stick. You make you want every line in the song to have an emotional attachment to that theme. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to have a literal one, you know, mm-hmm. but it just has to feel like it it ties in with it. And like the way that I learned, people ask me like, how'd you learn how to write songs? And I always, I, I, I didn't know at first, but then I kind of, I've kind of figured it out is I would go through, like, I would have the acoustic and I would uh, take like a Beatles songbook. Now you could just do it on guitar tabs or, you know, various apps or sites or whatever. But I would take the Beatles songbook and I would learn how to play, you know, Blackbird. So now I know. I'm singing, playing Blackbird, and then I would just, like, change the chords up, take the same melodies that Paul McCartney wrote and just flip them around. I'm going to use this chorus melody for the verse and the verse melody for the chorus. Now, change my and make my own words. Mm. But I would just play. I would use, like, it's like a Lego set, but I would make a different, you know, different yeah. final product, Legos or whatever. And it really helped, like. Yeah. Did- flipping and I love doing that. And you listen to classic songs, like that's really all we're doing. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. you know, if you if you listen to a, a huge mega breakout artist from you know Drake to Whitney Houston to Rolling Stones and the Beatles, like all the way through, people are just taking from the generation before them and kind of reappropriating beautiful universal truth in their own time. And like that's not a rocket science you know it's all laid out for you mm-hmm. um, but yeah it's, it's really about like not overthinking it and just feeling your way through it as much as possible yeah connecting it back to the the question that we introed with Bobby Brackens has been super successful in writing songs and he's written yeah. some some huge songs um, kind of behind the scenes that people don't even know about and with your relationship with him and whatnot how how did he influence your songwriting if at uh, all, I mean, I'm just assuming no, he, he no, did. He, he did a lot. Uh, I think something that he he's very he's not trying to please everybody when he writes a song, mm. and it kind of that's like the the knickknack thing too. Like he's trying to please himself, and I think for me, especially in the early part of my career, like I came from being a basketball player where I was trying to please the. 
coach, you know, because you want to be, you want to start, you want to be the best guy on your team. I was always trying to be somebody else. Mm-hmm. And I'm still, I still struggle with that. But Bob is really good at like, this is just, I'm making my shit that I want to listen to and I don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you know, like yeah. what everyone else thinks. Like if this moves me, it can be the simplest thing. It could be complicated. It doesn't matter. If it moves me, that's where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And it's my truth. And he just, he taps right into it. And that's, you know, for me, that's like the process I described before when I have the idea. That's the perfect scenario for me. But I spend a lot of time just writing bullshit too. And I'm not proud of it, but mm-hmm. that's uh, that's me trying to be good for the producer or trying to impress someone from the label that's sitting in the room. But really, that's never the best song. Yeah. And Bob has a way of cutting through all of that and going, getting straight to the, the heart of it. And I think, uh, hopefully I've learned and picked up on that as much as I can. Yeah. That's a good way to segue into to New Gold Metal, which is your new label that, from what I understand, you started with Rob Stewart Fest. Um, yeah. It was part of the impetus behind leaving Republic Records and starting New Gold Metal kind of what you just explained, just to have total creative freedom and just just be you, unrestricted? Um, I mean, if we're being fully honest, mm-hmm. like my career at Republic, it just, it wasn't, it was just on like a, a not a steep downhill, but it was, just wasn't improving, you mm-hmm. know? I was having less and less commercial success Every, every time I put something out. And even though it was still solid, it wasn't anything to, at least for me, it wasn't an improvement, so it stopped being exciting. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't exciting for them either. So it was kind of a mutual... I guess I could tell this story since we're, you know, we're here now. Uh, I was in a, in, a, in, in a meeting with the president of my label, and she said, you know, we're starting to see diminishing returns with you, Basie. And just something about, like, the way she said that sentence, it really rubbed me the wrong way. Mm. I was like, I don't want to be in any relationship where that's, you know, the predominant feeling in the room. And she said that, and I was like, you know what? I don't want to be here then. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I I did not, I was not, like, it wasn't my day to get fired. She said that. She was trying to. Yeah. You know, talk our way through it and, and I was like, you know what? No, that's just all bad. I don't want to be part of that. Yeah. And I asked her to call to call the CEO, Avery Littman. And she did. And I said to him, you know, I don't like I don't need to be here. I know enough to do this month. So if you guys don't give me that much money, it's not, you know, I make money now. You guys have helped me a lot start mm-hmm. my career to where I could be self sustaining if I wanted to. So I basically told him, like, I want full support on my next album. I don't want to put out an EP. I don't want to put out singles. Um, I need, like, a budget to run my plays. And he said, he was like, send me everything you want, uh, you know, a full budget, an outline of what you're going to do with it, and what you expect our return to be, mm-hmm. which was a little aggressive. Like, I, mm-hmm. I have to write what you're going to get back it's not your job but me and fast did that so we made a whole blueprint of what our next few months looked like and i sent it to him and a week later he called me and he was like listen i'm not going to commit to doing everything you sent but i'll do one song at a time Mm. or you can leave and so that's really i've never really told her but that's exactly how it happened i said i'll leave thank you very much and to their to their credit they let me keep the music that i had recorded uh in the last couple months you know, still on nice. their label, which they could have tried to boss up on that, I guess. If mm-hmm. they wanted. <laughs> um, Was that so the yeah, majority I, of PMD? Yeah. I mean, I, I actually ended up um, writing a few, like I was inspired right after that. So yeah. I wrote like four or five after, but the majority of it I had been working on. Um, so it was, you know, it was a really good feeling though. Like it was scary, but mm-hmm. It wasn't uh when it when it's right you you know you can do anything so I, I felt like vindicated 
and I just went for it. Um, so now we have new gold medal, and we're about to sign our first artist top of next year, which I'm really excited about. Nice. Um, I won't announce his name yet, but he's a singer from Sweden. He's oh, incredible. Really? Yeah, and he's a writer as well. So mm. I'm trying to kind of build out a community around me of multifaceted singers, songwriter, producers. And I wanted to kind of approach it like we're a team that if you if you're signed to New Gold Metal, you're pretty much like all in with us. It's not like we're not hitting quick licks on people. We're not trying to get mm-hmm. just quick six figure bags, which is a lot of people do that in the music industry. Like they try to work with someone and then get them to a place where they can sign their first publishing deal or record deal. Then they take their cut and they kind of step out. But mm-hmm. I'm trying to be all in with the people I work with and. I mean, that's how I've been this whole time. Yeah. I think it it kind of shows in the music. You know, you get your own unique perspective when you stay around and yeah. you stay loyal to people. Um, but so that's what we're trying to build. Um, and it's exciting, man. I yeah. mean, we're just, we're really just getting started. We we spent the first six months fully focusing on PND. And now I'm going to have a deluxe PND that comes out in January. Mm. Now I'm going to tour. And then springtime we'll be having multiple releases from uh, Google Metal. Awesome, man. Yeah, I'm stoked for that tour. I see you're coming through SAC, which will be good. I'll be there. Yeah, man. I'll definitely be there. Awesome. We'll have to link. Yeah. We, we put out, we just uh, pressed up some vinyls of PMD. Oh, sweet. That'd be um, rad. So that's kind of, I always wanted to do that. And it has like a little a bonus song on that that no one's heard. So that's exciting. But that's, yeah, like I, I'm just working. I'm being the best musician I can be. And then, That'll lead into tour. First headlining tour in two years. So that's exciting for us nationwide in Canada. And then, um, yeah, after tour, we'll start all over again. Awesome, man. And I'll link to everything Marky Basie in the show notes so people curious can check all the tour dates and all the merch and the website and the story and New Gold Medal and Instagram and all that stuff, too. Yeah, man. And congratulations to you, man. You know the. The consistency is key and it keeps building and I'm excited for you, bro. I appreciate that, dude. I really do. Thank you. All right, guys. Mark, thanks, dude. Thank you. Thank you, John. A special thanks to King's Kaleidoscope for the instrumental used on the intro and outro of this podcast. Also, a big thanks to the good people at Capital Floats, which is Northern California's premier sensory deprivation and float tank facility. I am a frequent user there, and the experience is transformative to say the least. And for listeners of this podcast, they are offering an exclusive deal of 40% off the normal price for a single float. Just go to capitalfloats.com and use the promo code LIFEENCHANTED with no spaces at checkout. If you're in Northern California, you definitely want to take advantage of this. Please remember that I am not a doctor, so definitely consult your physician before making any sudden diet, supplement, or lifestyle changes suggested in any of these episodes. If you're interested in connecting with me, you can send an email to nick, N-I-C-K, at mylifeenchanted.com, or you can find me on Instagram at mylifeenchanted. Peace.